Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. Today on Aim Higher, we are going to talk about how to keep fear from gripping your team. And before we get started, I want to thank everyone who is writing reviews, rating the podcast, listening and sending in fabulous comments and questions, and on my website, asking questions for us to use in upcoming mailbag episodes. But today is all about fear and keeping fear from just gripping and taking control of your team. You know, fear can limit your performance. It can limit your creativity. It limits the ability for a team to do great work. It stifles growth. It creates a miserable work experience if you're gripped in fear. Fear can stop us in our tracks. Why? Because biologically, fight or flight takes over. When we're living in fear, we often fear that we can't speak the truth. We may fear what others think or what will happen or the repercussions. We can fear losing a job, status, popularity, income. We might fear failure. We might be afraid of criticism or we might fear change. And leading with fear may be unintentional or it may even be purposeful. It may be a tactic of control. Fear may get people to do something, but not to do it willingly. In servant leadership, I teach that servant leaders sell over tell. Leading with fear takes it a step further. Instead of selling or telling, they're yelling. And whether they're actually yelling or not, it feels the same to the recipients. So today we are talking about fear, leadership fear, working in a culture of fear, how to work through fear, what to do if your team is gripped by fear, and how to overcome the claws and clutches and grip of fear. And we have an amazing panel to talk about that. We have, and we're so surprised, Tammy Spade. She's never been here before except no, every other time. No, this is my first experience. I'm super excited about it. A little bit afraid. Channel that because <laughs> you've been here enough times that yes. I think you know that people purpose place. Fear isn't in there. It's all no, P's. No, it doesn't start with a P. And we have the better ip, Chip Nilgis, who is here. Welcome back, Chip. Thanks, Skip. Glad to be here. You've been here a few times. I've been before. here a few times. I'm a veteran now. Business development, relationships, acquisitions, leadership, divestitures, you name it, Chip covers it. Publishing community. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You kind of do a little bit of everything. Research now. Yeah. Kind of utility player. And we finally have back from the wilderness, from the vacation, from the epic vacation that lasted so long. Because, you know, if we record a bunch of episodes in a week, then it looks like he's gone for months. So we finally have back Drew Bordas, who missed Aim Higher. We weren't sure. Tammy and I were debating, should we bring him back or mm-hmm, not? Mm-hmm. A lot of people wrote in and said, you know, I'm not sure if he should be there or not. But we it was are a close welcome. vote. It was a close vote. Thank, thank you for having me back. I, I have a fear of missing future episodes, obviously. I've no been, vacation? No, no. And I've been thinking a lot about it. And I, I really reflected on it. And I realized something. You all like me. You like me a lot. And what makes you think that? It's, I'm so Is missed. Is that your fear? You, you basically dedicated an episode to me not being there. We do. Wow. We, we do dedicate huh? it. That is a, that, that's like a great spin. Uh-huh. Have you thought about marketing? No, no. <laughs> you don't want me in that. <laughs> it is true, Drew. We greatly, greatly missed you. So we are glad you are back. 
And now, talking about fear. Why do we fear fear? Let's start there. What, what is it about fear that we're afraid of fear? You know, some people are just afraid to be afraid. We fear it. Is it just because it's terribly uncomfortable? I mean, I think so. I think you mentioned the biological response. I think it's primal and it's something we don't even necessarily think about. And it's meant to protect us, I think. I mean, that, that first response to fear is meant as a protective response, but it doesn't feel good. You know, it doesn't feel good to be gripped by fear and to be afraid. So you can I, feel it in every part oh, of your body. absolutely. Yeah. Head, heart. I mean, it's deeply instinctual. And when you talked about, like, fear of losing your job or, or things like that, I think you can go quickly to that hierarchy of needs. And, and you're all happy and comfortable one moment, and then the next moment you're thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to feed my family? Like, you can, you, your mind can spiral quickly into worst-case scenarios if you allow it and to. And I'll never get a job again. And I'll never get a job, and, you know, and you can, you can do that to yourself very easily. So it's not a, it doesn't feel good. It's not a good place to be. I'm an Enneagram 7. So here we um, go. Yeah, I, I live there a little bit. <laughs> I do think it's important to acknowledge that you can't avoid fear. It's a reaction. So it's really about how you deal with the reality of fear. It is good. And we won't go into the Enneagram, but that's the sixes that are. Oh, sorry. Have that there. But, but there is sort of a feeling in the seven of chasing excitement and things based on based to run on, away um, from run away from yeah, exactly so i know where you're coming yeah, yeah, from because chip would be like oh look i can get another job i wonder if that would be interesting oh look i have an opportunity over there he, he was i can't see him living in fear chip <laughs> no, chip would no. not chip does not really associate no, not with, good no way with with fear maybe creating but not living in <laughs> So with that, Try why does do fear that. take off so fast? Why is it that, you know, a little bit of fear, you know, Drew, you mentioned the word spiral. Why is it that just a little dose of fear, you know, you'd put a little bit and then it just takes off, you know, not just in you, but also in the team and the culture, you know, the word spreads quickly. Bad news maybe spreads faster than the good news, right? So we fear losing a major customer, or we fear the competitor, or we fear the weather or whatever. You know, you can see it on an airplane. I remember we were landing in a certain city somewhere in Africa. I don't even remember. Ah, Dakar. And the woman next to me just broke down because the, the plane, they said we might have to stay here overnight. And she was just in a near panic and hyperventilating. And I said, okay, well, I'll be all right. And I'm, I'm speaking to her, you know, take a deep breath and let's just let this go and trying to, to get that out. But the fear gripped her so quickly. And I watched somebody who just moments ago was enjoying a glass of wine. Maybe something was in the wine. Mm, there you go. Maybe it was not South African wine, which was so good, but maybe it was something, but it just gripped her. And I watched it just take off and take off. And she said, she was telling me this was the first trip I've taken. My husband died, and I decided to do it on my own because it was our dream to go on an African safari. I mean, and I heard the whole story. And so I think the fear of just being alone and doing all this was gripping her. It was beyond the situation. And so I think one of the things that fear takes off is it often awakens things that have been dormant inside that we've not really spoken about. I could see it happening with her. But you do see fear just taking off, don't you? You do. I, and I think... It's contagious because if you see someone else gripped by fear, it's natural to think, should I be afraid too? Particularly if your leader is displaying fear. 
it's natural for the team to think, wait, should I also be concerned? And so there's this sort of paralysis that can happen. You sort of stop and begin to go into a self-protective mode. Yeah, it can often happen. How does fear show up in people anyway? It shows up differently. What are some of the ways that fear shows up? Because it's not always the same manifestation. You know, some people may be, find it just, you mentioned the word paralysis. They just may be stopped. What are the other ways that people show up in fear? I think one that can happen in the workplace is you see groups uh, not cooperating as much. You see protection of data, protection of information, a lot of just bad behaviors, right? Like just classic bad corporate behaviors a lot of times are driven by fear. If I share this with you, it's going to be used against me. If I talk to you, my boss is going to get mad at me. I mean, these are real examples we've seen. When you come into a culture like that, when you see that behavior, you, as a leader, you can instantly say, Oof, this is not good. What, what are you afraid of in the first place? Silence yeah. is another one yeah. where they, oh, you yeah. ask a question oh, yeah. and there's just silence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also I've seen multitasking or chasing a variety of objectives without coherence in the team. We know we need to do something. We aren't together around a plan. We're just going to act. Not that I've ever done that. No, I don't know who that would describe. <laughs> that I could see you doing is fear. Yeah. Yeah, I think some people act and jump out. Some people catastrophize and go, as Drew said earlier, to that worst case scenario. Some people just spin and they can't land. You know, some people act out in anger. You know, I think that self-protection that Drew talked about is very common, but some people go on the attack. It's the fear response. You know, am I going to fight? Am I going to freeze? Am I going to flee? Survival. I think all of those things are appropriate. You also see anger, fear, and come back. You see this eruption, and it's not characteristic of maybe that person or that team, but you feel this anger. So they may show up big time or they may show up not at all. What are some of the things that create that fear? What is it that creates a fear in an organization? What would you say are some of the main drivers of fear? You mentioned the leader, perhaps, maybe Mm -hmm. she or he is creating that fear somehow. I think fear is usually about loss, a fear of losing something. So, you know, it could be losing stature. It could be losing recognition or involvement. It could be losing a job, but it's usually about loss. It's not typically about gain. And I think that's where it can show up in people in organizations. You know, everyone wants to be recognized. Everyone wants to be contributing and be in a team where they feel like they fit and are doing something that's important. And when any of those things are threatened, I think you see all these various fear reactions. Yeah, I think that often the underlying assumption behind the fear is that there is a limited pool of opportunity. And what we're doing is fighting over that limited pool as opposed to a growth mentality where you're confident that working together, you can find even more. Yeah. I think you can help other people out of fear. It's a little more difficult to help yourself out of it. So skip that story you told about the passenger on the plane. You chose not to think, well, maybe I should be afraid too. You chose to help her. It's a little more difficult to help yourself. Sometimes you need something outside, some external force to give you a mirror and say, okay, let's really look at this for what it is. And sometimes it is going to be, you know, people get a diagnosis of cancer and they're 
appropriately afraid. But even there, information and somebody else coming along who can advise and counsel, maybe someone who's already been through it and survived, been through job loss and survived, can be really helpful things. And, you know, something to that, I think the unknown is what drives a lot of this. And what is unknown to you is not necessarily unknown to another person. Oh, right? so good. Yeah. So if Skip has flown around the world, and actually all of us have, and you, you can't have a job like that and not experience disruption, delays, unexpected landings, turbulence, right? I mean, you've done a thousand flights. It's going to happen. Now match that up with someone who it's their first international flight, right? If that plane was landing for the night in Columbus, Ohio, I bet she wouldn't have been as terrified. But landing in Africa, never been there before, never done this, terrifying. Somebody like Skip, ah, this will be interesting. I mean, that's so I, I think with job loss, with cancer, with a lot of these, because it's new to you, it can be hard to get your head out of it. And I think it'd be so, it's good to find somebody who has been through it and survived it. Yeah, that's you know? good. Information research also mm-hmm. often helps. It helps me. Unless it's medical. Unless it's medical. Don't, Sometimes don't search. That's bad. Talk, don't talk search. to me if it's right? medical. You'll just, you'll just cry yourself to sleep. Don't do it. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about her. I thought about her often because it was so stark how quickly she changed. And it wasn't necessarily fear of Dakar, where she was. It was actually a fear of journeying life alone, that she had lost her husband, you know, period. So, yes, the, the new country and the travel, and yes, that was all true. And also, just, I'm alone. You know, the realization, I don't have my partner. And I think that hadn't hit her. So I was seeing kind of a grief reaction with the fear, in addition to the fear that was there. I could so, see that. My wife would miss me. Yeah. yeah so if, well, we, totally. we we did with the podcast, yeah, and we dedicated a whole... This podcast is dedicated to Drew Borders. Yeah, I think underlying fear may be a part of that. So one of the tactics when you want to keep fear from gripping your team is get to the underlying root cause. Do the research. Find someone else that's been through it. These are all good tactics that so far we've covered in just these quick conversations. I'd love to switch. Is there ever a reason that you should encourage fear or is there a benefit to fear? Oh, yeah. Well, you can use a little bit sometimes because a complete absence of it can lead to complacency as an organization. I'm talking business-wise, obviously. But, you know, there are moments where, look, nobody nobody cares if they accomplish anything or, or do anything. Maybe we have too little fear. You know, somebody needs to be afraid of something. Come on, let's get something done. It's obviously not the preferred way to lead. I'd love for everybody to be self-motivated and want to do the right thing and achieve everything. That's just not human behavior. Carrot and stick, as they say. Yes. I think the absence of fear sometimes indicates the absence of clear objectives. So am I aware of the position the business is in? Do I understand the KPIs for the business? Is the work I'm doing connected to realizing those goals? Or Do you want to define KPIs? Oh, key performance indicator. Thank you very much. Or am I following my own agenda, knowingly or unknowing, independent of those? And sometimes when that happens and you bring somebody back in, we're one team, and they understand they can respond with fear. Oh, the realization we do have this objective as a team to support the organization's business objectives. So that kind of introduction to fear, I think, can be very helpful in people developing a better way of supporting the organization. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, every organization faces threats, every team may face threats. It's in the, you know, the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. 
And it can be very helpful to look at those threats and to identify creative solutions, ways forward, where you might need to innovate, where you might need to change. So I think in that sense, you know, it's not paralyzing fear, but it's a realistic view of there are threats and we need to act in regard to those threats or at least assess how we might need to act. Fear can be a driver. Fear can heighten performance. I think that's what we're getting to, which is not, it's not all bad. You know, I think back to law school days and walking into a classroom and having to be absolutely ready. The fear of not being ready, the fear of either looking ill-prepared or like an idiot, you know, all those things that that fear is there versus the fear that can be used to heighten performance. So some people can get paralyzed with fear. Other people can be energized by fear. And that's really a choice. And so when fear confronts you, pausing to look at it objectively and say, how do I want to react to that? Where can I go with this? What can I do with this? I think is important. Fear also, I have found that the most successful people, and I've interviewed thousands of people now, the most successful people use fear as a catalyst for growth. Because every new thing that you do is going to involve some fear. If I've never been a public speaker, the first time I get up on stage, I have fear. That's good fear. That's fear that's going to drive you to perform at your best. Now, if you're completely, you know, in a cold sweat and I can't get another word out, et cetera, that's bad fear. And then we need to help you through that. But the process of growth is going to naturally make you a little afraid. If you're doing a new exercise at the gym with a weight and you're afraid, like I might drop it this way, you're going to have heightened performance around it because it's something new. But taking on that new thing is exactly what you need for personal growth. And everyone who's listening to Aim Higher These are people who want to grow. And so facing those fears, they would say, face the fear and do it. What? Anyway, right? So how do we use that fear? So I think fear can be good. Leadership fear is very tricky. You don't want to create fear in people that's paralyzing and debilitating. And then you're the classic, as Drew was saying, the classic bad behavior. And I don't think a leader should say, I'm going to employ fear. I, I just think that's, that's wrong. I think it's inevitable as you face challenges and as your team is growing, though. So if it's that type of natural, organic, we're facing a new challenge together, we're launching a new product, we're afraid, how's it going to be received? Did we get the wording right? Is the messaging right? Is the product functionality exactly what it should be? You know, there's a little bit of healthy fear because you're giving birth to something new in the marketplace, right? That's healthy fear versus... I'm screaming and yelling at you. It's, it's unpredictable. I never know what it's going to be about when I'm trapped in something that is not the healthy fear. So there is this delineation, I think, and I, I think our language should divide it and have these two different fear words because they're not quite the same. What's your reaction to, to some of the things I'm talking about, fear and personal growth? I couldn't agree more. I, th- I think that uh, when I was a kid learning to ski, my dad used to say, if you aren't falling on a regular basis, you're probably not doing it right. And I think that's true of business. I think we are, as Tammy said, in a competitive environment, and we have to try new things and challenge ourselves. I also think it's really important to be clear with ourselves about what we're trying to achieve. We can't be afraid of being measured. I find that in a fear environment, sometimes folks are afraid to sort of step forward and say, this is what I'm going to try to achieve and be held accountable. I think those two are tied together as well. Yeah. Fear of failure, right? I mean, and you have to show that perfection is not the bar. You know, you cannot make a habit of failure, but 
nobody's perfect. No business is perfect. It's going to happen. So accept it, be okay with it, learn from it, move on. That type of thing can negate a lot of fear. Fear and innovation are linked to, if you have no fear at all, you're probably staying in that safe zone. Too you're not growing. Yeah, yep. You're not trying new things and innovating. So we've been talking about a lot of different ways of overcoming fear personally, how to do it. But if the team is kind of gripped with that fear, what can you do to turn that around? What are some of the steps that, that you can take? Yeah, I think you talked about this a little bit earlier, but getting to the core of it. So what, you know, what's behind this and getting people together to talk about what are we concerned about? What are we afraid of? What's the path if that fear were to come true? What would we do? How can we mitigate this? I mean, fear is a part of life. Risk is a part of life. And they both do lead to growth. Sometimes it's not growth that we want, but it's growth that we need. So I do think just being able to communicate and talk about that and understand what the fear is can really be helpful. Empathy, then, Mm -hmm. is a big one, too. Mm -hmm. I think just to say, I really want to get in and understand and slow that down and really live that because oftentimes what you're not afraid of is because you're at a different stage of development or life. You know, you watch somebody at one stage and they're terrified of doing something and you've done it a million times and you think, what is what? What's with you? But you forget what it's like when you were there. And so that empathetic ear, I think, is, is one way. And I also think for a leader, it's admitting mistakes. I like to say mistakes are so important. I wrote a book about them. Mistakes, I think being transparent of, oh, yeah, I was wrong on that. Or I think I'm wrong on this. Or, yeah, sorry about that. Because it helps you, I think, if, if you're in the team, if the leader's can make a mistake, you can make a mistake, right? I think that it just sounds basic, but it's so true. I think uh, building on that, um, and this is something I've had to learn in my career, is vulnerability. Having honest and emotional relationships with your direct reports, for instance, and building trust and being vulnerable about your own life. I mean, one thing that I've learned is that when you scratch the surface, if there's fear in a relationship and you sit down and actually talk to someone I'm often amazed at what's going on in other people's lives. And, and they're actually being quite brave, but it's manifesting as fear. And so that's a two-way street. And it is a two-way street. It happens. It's not just, oh, I'm in a position and it's a boss. It's we all have that. And I think sometimes people you know, on a team looks at, look at the boss and think the boss is not a person, but is it some kind of robot? And when you actually get to know the boss and – you know, what are those fears or those issues, then you can come to a common understanding. It is a both-way situation. I think a good, healthy understanding of probability is also important. Mm -hmm. Like, I could walk out of this building and get hit by lightning the moment I step out of it. Sure, that is possible that that could happen. It probably isn't going to, so I'm not going to worry about that today. Are you going to get fired tomorrow? Well, Was there a reorg and a new lead? Do you have a new boss? Or are you just waking up worried about this because it's Thursday? And like Tammy said, evaluating the threat landscape. So thinking of it from a business perspective, there's always threats. There's always things you can come up with that, oh my gosh, what if this happened? And so you have to sit down and say, okay, but what are the odds that is really going to happen? And then we can spend time worrying about it or not. Yeah, I also find people are afraid of a few key things. We've mentioned job loss as one. And I tell people, lean into that fear while you can. 
before it's ever happened and develop a plan. What if that happened? So that instead of it happening and you're totally paralyzed, you say, well, it's okay. I've been building my network. I have been taking classes. I have you know, this experience set. I have new skills I'm always learning. So that if it happens, I mean, nobody would like it. It's not something you're welcoming. And yet you feel more prepared. So prepare for those types of things that that are just, if it's constantly coming up in your subconscious, some people can avoid that. But if it's coming up over and over, just tune in and listen to it. It's, it's an instructor. It's telling you, do something about this. Do it now. And so I've had some people who said, well, I was always afraid of this and it happened. And I said, I know, we've talked about it for 10 years. What have you done? Well, nothing. Well, I don't feel sorry for you because we talked about it for 10 years. And you made a choice. And you made a choice. Now, I can help you, and I will, but you're causing this, and so get ahead of that. I think it's very important. There's always a positive action I think you can take to counteract fear, whether that's getting information, whether that's connecting with somebody who's been through it, developing a plan, taking a breath. You know, there's always a positive action. And we talked a minute ago about people who've been through it. And I, in my role, have an opportunity to mentor people who are either losing their job or have lost their job or really feel like they've got to make a career shift and being authentic. I tell them, you know, I was fired early in my working career. Tammy Spade. I was. Impossible. Impossible. And people people are so, really? And then you can tell them about that experience and, you know, I was 21, but what happened and and what lessons you learned and yes, you will survive. Foolish company. Tell us more. (laughs) I'll tell you about it later. We we need a whole episode on this. That's good. We need a whole session on that one. Drew, you can't be on vacation for that one. I'm never going again. Okay. So what do you do if, let's just use the boss as an example. What do you do if the boss is creating fear in you? What do you do with that? Take them out to lunch. Seriously. Um, his favorite bottle of wine. I, maybe, maybe that, whatever it takes, chocolate, wine, whatever. But I think you have to recognize that the fear is in your head and you have to develop a hypothesis. Is this me? Is this us? And talk to the person outside of the work, you know, if, if it's not fear based on something, you know, that's obviously you should be afraid of. And I think you'll be surprised. I thought you just liked me. I didn't know that's why you were asking to go to lunch. Well, it's both. <laughs> I gave him wine last week. It's both. Um, sometimes people don't know how they're impacting each other. And, you know, what, what might be motivating to one person is causing fear in someone else. So I, I think you owe it to that boss to say, I know you don't have any negative intent. I'm going to assume you don't have negative intent. But here's how it impacts me when you say, when you do. Can we develop a way of interacting that, you know, is going to be a little bit healthier from my perspective. Very important. It's sharing that style. It's saying, you know, I've realized like my dials always will always on high. What? Yeah. Can you believe it? A little bit. And so I have to learn to either dial that down or you can dial it down by saying, oh, your intensity level is so high for me right now. Could you dial that down and meet me where I am? And then we can go where you are. And sometimes just knowing that helps. And I think it can impact people just completely differently, depending on where you're coming from. And do you have a level of trust? Do you have a level of experience? Have you walked life together? Do you know, you've been in battles in the office together. Once you have been, it becomes much more comfortable for you to see, okay, that's how that is acting, but it's not actually toward me. It's just kind of in the moment. Really good. You mentioned 
assuming good intentions and assuming positive intentions. I think that's important to really focus on that you think, okay, well, is this really coming at me or not? So calling that out, I think, is important because they may say, no, I don't have good intentions. <laughs> then you know it's a real fear, but that's that's important. I think forgiveness is one that you need to kind of have a sense of, forg- you know, you can't hold on to little gripes and, you know, you have to move on. And I also, I have one, I, I just think about third parties. So often you can use a third party example. So you can say, Either a system, you mentioned Enneagram, but you can, you know, you're reacting in the Berkman style this way and that's impacting me. Or you could third party it with an example of, you know, someone else I know says this, this, and this, and it's kind of making me feel that way. And you can kind of third party a conversation so that you can get out of the we're going against each other to more of we're observers. And as observers, we can solve this and you can lean in and say, what would you do? How can we solve this? Versus, we're fighting on something, which probably is more manifested in your own mind than it is theirs. I think asking questions, too, if you if you find yourself leaping to a conclusion, sit back and, and you do this, Skip. Tell me more. And then begin asking questions. Often you're surprised at what you didn't know. I'm not usually surprised. There's a lot I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell me more. You ask a lot of questions that Chip, seriously, you, you're always that. Tell me why that is, you always say. And I'm like, I have no idea. You tell me why that is. But it, it does put you in a sense of inquiry instead of fear. A question mark is not fearful. An exclamation point is fearful. And so whenever you can turn an exclamation point into a question, you're going to turn fear into a positive emotion. Yeah. Another thing I've noticed, particularly during the pandemic, is that We've all become isolated to an extent, right? And that lack of connection with others, I think, can create distortion. And so I think when you're feeling, when one is feeling fear, connecting with multiple others you trust and talking about that fear can be very, very helpful. Yeah, Yeah, that distortion, though, really resonated with me because it's not a realistic view that you have. Right. It's it's distorted. You're wearing glasses that are not clear. Right. And how often we do that? How often do we have those distorted, that distorted lens? And, you know, isolation causes that distortion. Negative environment causes that distortion. Bad culture, an overbearing boss can cause that distortion. So look at ways to say, you know, am I distorted in my vision? Can I take that off? That's why actually getting a vacation. I was just about to say that. Taking it, a vacation, Skip, really. You should does. do it. What is that? You should do it. It does help. It, does help. it takes it takes off that distortion that you get if you're kind of in it because you can't work on it if you're in it all the time. So this is a great episode talking about fear and keeping fear from gripping you and your team. Fear is one way that you are sure not to aim higher because it is a quicksand that draws you down. And so if you want to aim higher, you have to keep fear from gripping you and your team You have to look for ways to embrace confidence and clarity instead of fear. And that is the way that we can all aim higher. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher.